Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast brought to you by Second Day. My name is Maria Mathine, and every other week I'm sitting down with people who are building careers working on our community's biggest challenges. And we're using this space to not only prove that it is possible to build a career that allows you to do good for the world and do well for yourself, but to also demystify how to make that happen for social impact job seekers everywhere. This week is a little different. It's short, it's sweet, but it is really special because I'm sitting down with my own co-founder, Phil Deering. He has written a book called Why Change Dies, which he will share a lot more about in our conversation. But in the meantime, I thought I would just give a quick intro of who he is if you are not familiar. He is, as I mentioned, of course, my co-founder. Prior to working at Second Day, he worked as a consultant at Bridgespan, where he supported the work of some of the largest foundations, nonprofits, and impact investors in the country. He also served as the chief of staff at College Bound Dorchester, where his work focused on reducing violence in the Boston area. He lives in Boston with his wife, Anne, their son, Theo, and their dog, Bella. Bill, I am very excited to be sitting with you today. We talk every single day, but now the world gets to hear the weird way in which we communicate to each other for the last three years, four years, five years, many, many years of communicating back and forth. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm very excited to be on the pod. The famous pod, the best pod in all the world. So as everyone knows, you wrote a book, which is very exciting. And I kind of just wanted to start at the beginning, which is what was the key question that you wanted to tackle with this book? And why did you feel called to ask that question? Why Change Eyes builds on what we've been doing with Second Day. So it is asking this question of, if I am an individual and I want to make a positive impact in the world, in my community... How can I best set myself up to do it? And with a lot of our programming, with Second Day, we focus really on primarily college students, young people transitioning from internships to their first full-time role or fellowship and navigating that discernment process. But this book zoomed out even more broadly, which was looking across a career arc, thinking about how we can have an impact, focusing not just on folks that are early in their career, but also people that are mid-career, feeling unsatisfied with their impact, or later in career, thinking about how they can give back or do more. And so I love studying systems more deeply, doing a lot more research behind the why of what we espouse. And I'm really excited about what came together. So obviously, we don't want to give it all away. We want people to go out and read the book. But if you could share maybe one or two things that stood out as you were researching that you found interesting. The book at its crux is the intersection of individuals and movements. And so I'm happy to talk about either. I think for the movement side, it's broken down into private sector, public sector, and social sector, nonprofit and philanthropy. And the dynamics for why these movements fail are pretty similar in a lot of ways once you zoom out and look at that. So within the private sector, it's almost always that exciting movements die because of the wealth maximization principle. So if you look at efforts for some companies to increase the amount of corporate philanthropy dollars that they put out, or to great example is like ExxonMobil, there was a lot of press over some board seats being taken over by an activist hedge fund, encouraging a greener transition and all of that. And now when you look at it over the last year, they've actually backtracked their carbon transition goals. They've gotten worse because oil prices have risen and it's become more profitable to do that. And so I think that's a great example where that organization was doing sort of the activist board members were doing everything right in terms of trying to 
when trying to speak the language of wealth maximization for private sector shareholders, and even still, it's challenging in a lot of ways. So similarly, public sector, thinking about the power of the wealthy, of certain people who are heard more, of the types of people who are able to run for public office when there's no certainty of winning, and tiny salaries for non-federal positions, and then nonprofit philanthropy, we're very familiar with this, the power dynamics of what organizations get funded, who sets the agenda, aka foundations, how tokenizing it can be, how challenging any sort of like evaluation systems are, risk appetites flow. So it was great to look at these different sectors and look across movements and try and really distill what are some of these key dynamics to be aware of so that if we're working in the space, we're aware of what those dynamics are. They aren't necessarily better or worse, but just knowing what they are equips each of us as individuals to try and sort of fight battles most effectively in those spaces. And I think that was one of our goals also in starting Second Day was just to better equip the next generation of changemakers to understand the world that they're stepping into. Because I think what we've both seen, what I have sometimes felt myself too, is we sit there with a desire to make things better. And like we can see so clearly sometimes, or it feels like we can see so clearly what needs to happen, but that the systems that surround us are motivated by the things that make things worse for everybody too. So it's really challenging. It's really exhausting. You constantly feel like you're pushing against four that are deeply entrenched and that are much bigger than each of us. So what advice do you have for people to avoid burning out or getting too jaded and losing sight of why we want to do this work in the first place? Yeah. So change happens at the intersection of navigating these systems and individuals and navigating the pitfalls that we can hit across. And it's I use the analogy of keeping the fire alive. And I think it's actually a great analogy because many of us when we're younger have a stark moral clarity and are certain that you know the world is is so broken in so many ways and there are so many ways that we want to make progress and as we go through you can almost imagine we're sort of holding this match and trying to progress and trying to do things there's so many cross currents and winds that blow it out whether it's financial challenges whether it's mental health or physical health challenges whether it's cynicism emerging starting a family like there's so many different things that can come in and make us decide, okay, trying to make my community better, let's try to make the world like I can do a little bit, but I can't give a lot of myself because it's just enough to sort of survive and get by. And so moving the goal from I'm going to have the most impact right now in the next month, in the next year, I'm going to like hold myself to this really high standard is a recipe for <laughs> burning out and instead trying to think of a longer career I'm saying over the next 20 years, how can I be intentional about putting myself in a place where I'm gathering resources and skills and credentials that I can be helpful, and at the same time, not burning out, and not falling into the trap of basically accepting the status quo and building those resources. And by the time you wake up 10 years later, being like, oh, actually, I've convinced myself that working at this large corporation is having an impact because, you know... Pepsi sells snacks that people love. And that's an impact, even though it's fueling diabetes. So navigating all that, we get into in the book, these different trade-offs and how to think about common psychological barriers that people face around loss aversion, around path dependency, thinking about money, thinking about the core of it is creating a personal theory of change, which is writing down it can definitely change in the future. But for today, what do you see over the next year, over the next five years, over the next 10 years that your contribution can be? How can you be intentional about holding yourself to that impact that you would make? 
I've kind of a spicy question around this. As you were talking, I was reflecting on, I sort of touched on this at the beginning. We've been doing this work in some capacity since 2017. That is a really long time to be thinking about talent pipelines, access, equity, the diversity of the space, the power of money and how it moves and the risk aversion. There's so many things that we've encountered in this work. And I'm curious how you have found your own theory of change to be to have been challenged and to have developed over the last couple of years of being a social entrepreneur working in the talent space. Yeah. So I think at my core, the theory of change has been, I believe I can have the greatest impact in the world by unlocking and supporting the opportunities of others. And so that's why we've built Second Day, all of our programming, because it matters a lot that I'm just one person. I have all my blind thoughts. I, you know, I'm good at some stuff, but if I'm able to make it possible for dozens, hundreds, dare I say thousands of people to better fulfill some of their ambitions for change and sort of up-level the workforce ambition, that feels like a huge win and some transformative impact. And so how it's evolved, I think, is when I was starting, I was more elitist, I think, in my focus and less justice-oriented. I think that's definite blind spot. And I also was starting much more from a place of focusing on nonprofit and philanthropy, sort of the social sector as an arena for change. And I've seen myself more and more focus on questions around the public sector. And just knowing that nonprofits are ultimately limited in what they can do and the sustainability of anything funded through the charity and whims of billionaires and foundations. And the need for the public sector to be the ultimate solution for a more equal society. And if the public sector is going to be the solution, a much bigger challenge than electing a certain party or politician is the capacity and talent underwriting government, the local, state, federal level to deliver ambitious and effective social policies. And so my theory of change has definitely evolved in that way where second day, we're still mostly focused on nonprofit philanthropies, but I've been spending more time trying to think about How do we try and instill a stronger sense of government service? How do we build hiring systems in the public sector that are more effective? These are really hard questions and really thorny to unpack. So I think as I think about the future, like I'm intentionally investing more time and energy into meeting people and learning about that space, trying to translate the work we've done at Second Day into the public sector as well. And um, it'll probably continue to evolve. And I think I asked that question because I want people to understand that this is an example of how your theory of change evolves over time. The, the longer you're in the space, the more you talk to people, the more you understand your own place in it and the work you enjoy doing, the work you're good at, the people you like to surround yourself with. Those things are going to shift and move. And that's okay. That's normal. That should happen. Like If your theory of change doesn't move for 20 years, there's like a much bigger problem. So I think that's awesome. A lot of our listeners are classic early career. Maybe they have had one or two jobs. Maybe they're in college. And what is something that you take from this book that you think is especially relevant to them? Something that they can keep in mind as they kind of start building their career as young change makers. And of course, they should read the book to get the full details. But anything that immediately comes to mind? I'm a deep believer in frameworks being really helpful. And so let me give you three frameworks that I think are helpful to stew on if you're earlier in your career. First is discerning your purpose, figuring out what sort of challenges you want to work on. Since everything's intersectional, you could be doing all these different things. To think of that not as a light bulb moment that's going to emerge, but as a crossword puzzle, as something that you're going to be filling out over the course of your life 
where you are answering a question here or there. As you fill out one row, it might make it easier to answer a related question. And that is the work of a lifetime. That's something that 60-year-old CEOs are still thinking about. Like, what do I want to do next? How can I be helpful? And so thinking of it through that way, I think eases some of the pressure of solving it right now. But I think also increases the urgency to always be pushing and answering yourself and not just sort of settling and saying, ah, I got this job at a nonprofit and now I'm doing good and now I don't need to think. It's the work of a lifetime. Two, there's a framework in there that talks about your personal theory of change and particularly whether you see yourself being an institutionalist, transformer, a reformer, basically where you see your skill set lining up in the social change world. Because for progress to make, we need people that are calling out truth, that are saying things as they are, that are not afraid to speak truth to power, and might be ostracized as a result. We also need people that are all the way within these institutions, that are receptive to hearing things, that can play by the rules, but also change things. And we need people in the middle that can work compromises and pass legislation and do these things. I think there's a tendency sometimes if you fall in one of these camps to really judge the other people. But the truth is we need all of them to be effective. Like if you think about transforming our criminal legal system, right? It takes advocacy on, you know, questioning police impacts or various other things there, challenges that we're facing. But it also takes people that are in power, chiefs of police, judges, elected officials that can play by the rules, be in those powerful positions, understand the constraints of those, and also meaningfully move the needle. And so that's another framework to just think about of like, we delve more into some of the like opportunities and risks in those different paths, but like thinking about which path you're most called to and how you can be affected in those paths. The third and final framework I'll talk about is the bolder analogy, which is that any challenge that you're interested in, even like a micro thing of like, I don't know, we, we focus on like paid internships in the nonprofit sector that like almost every internship should probably be paid because that problem is really hard to solve. It's a boulder. And so if you think that your job is to push the boulder yourself, like you're not going to make any progress. If instead you think of it as how can I move this boulder with the community by building different tools, by wedging in rocks, by bringing or recruiting other people to the cause, by highlighting the need to move the boulder. When you change your mental model from like, I, this person need to move this issue myself versus like, I want to play a role in moving this issue forward or helping invent the perfect tool that'll move 20 boulders, whatever it is. I think that mental model is really helpful for sustainability and progress that doesn't need to be you alone, but it's it's we as a collective make progress. I feel like that's a perfect note to end on. I think you do such a good job at breaking down these sorts of complex existential questions about social change in a really accessible way. And I think this is just a small example of what your book does so effectively. So I'm entirely biased when I say this. Phil is incredibly smart and thoughtful and a great writer. And as you can hear, is like really committed to making these frameworks usable in our lives and how we move through our careers. So I highly recommend checking out the book. Phil, thank you so much for taking the time to share more with us today. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. The Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast is brought to you by Second Day, an organization fighting to make social impact careers more accessible to all by dismantling inequitable talent pipelines into mission-driven industries. To learn more, go to secondday.org. I'd like to thank my producer, Mai Vo, for her incredible work in making this episode possible. Music used in this podcast is titled Blessed Time by Ketza. It can be found on the free music archive under the Creative Commons license. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe. It makes a really, really big difference. Thank you.